we uh, wrap up a series today on unstuck and we'll be moving into a new one next week. But we finish and we've looked at things like shame, things that get people stuck. Carrie and I had a friend that um, he anger was a, a real battle for him. He couldn't drive. His wife had to drive virtually everywhere. It's because when he would drive, he would get mad. He would jump out of his car, rip somebody else out of their car, and it usually didn't go well. And it's tough to keep a job when you do that. He never drove. We, we had another friend who had a dream of being, getting married and having children and, and being at home and raising those kids. And it was a delight of her life until her husband left. And then she got three jobs. And she grieved. And she had to come to the point where she realized her dream would never be realized. Another friend, she, uh, she never took communion for 20 years. 20 years, there was a guy in the church that served and he had hurt her friend years ago and she, she just couldn't overcome that anger. People get stuck and there's different things. There's anger, there's shame, there's unforgiveness, all kinds of things. And one that we all share in common is that we all have dreams and periodically those dreams don't come true. And some people get to that place where they move from this glass half full perspective that when their dreams get shattered they don't realize it but they move themselves to a glass half empty perspective and they're forever shielding themselves from dreams anticipation and hope they get stuck that's what happened with the nation of israel the backdrop of this is a nation who was dealing with disappointment, despair over what? A variety of things, but the, the bulwark of kind of the focus point is a nation that had experienced this beautiful temple. It was the pride of their lives. And they got destroyed, and so another one was going to be built, and they were all so excited. Kind of like a new church plant, like a new home. Man, you're thinking, oh, we're going to have parties over here. And that's what the nation of Israel was thinking. We're going to have parties and people are going to want to worship our God because they're going to see our temple. And then when it was built, it was like, ah, this little dinky, itsy bitty little log cabin. And they were embarrassed. And they didn't want to sing. They were in despair. And the writer takes them back through a series of events, not just lasering on one, but a series of things. What has my people done when they face the devastation of a dream that has not come real? There's a cycle in this psalm. We didn't, have, we didn't take the time to read through it all, but we, we can look at it. Verse 6, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and God delivered them. He talks about another difficulty that they face. And then he says in verse 12, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them. He talks about another moment of disappointment and despair that they go through. And then he says in verse 19, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them. And then he talks about another one, and he says in verse 28. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. What was his point? Is that in life, for a variety of reasons, some of God's choosing, some of yours, dreams die. 
And if you're not careful, when your dreams die, it can actually lead you to death. There's a moment in the middle of this psalm, he talks about those who cherish death. Who would cherish death? It's a person who hasn't processed their visions that have died. And they take it into their heart and then they want to. Where does it begin? Sometimes with maybe a misperception of what life is going to be all about. And that is, for some people, they actually believe that when they come to Christ, their life is going to get easier. They do. I think actually it can sometimes be the opposite. I think sometimes when we come to Christ, when he wants to take us from our former sinful self and create in us a glorious representation of his son, I don't know about you, but in my life, he had some work to do, still does. And sometimes we walk through that life and that open door that we think is going to lead to glory is actually a desert. That's where he begins. He takes them all the way back. He speaks to them and he says, let the redeemed of the Lord. Who's a redeemed person? It's a person who's been brought out, bought out, delivered. Who's he talking about? Well, he tells you. Those he gathered from the lands, from the east and the west, north and the south. Some wandered into what? Desert wastelands. Well, who did that? The nation of Israel. Why? Because their journey with God often led to desert moments. It should not go unnoticed. For those of you who are new in your faith or those who are seasoned in your faith, there will be seasons in your life that God will lead you. Not because you've sinned, maybe uh, it, it can be that. We'll deal with that in a minute. But simply because that's the place where God often forges in you your greatest work, your greatest transformation. Job understood that. God invited him into this great, great chess match between God and Satan. And God says to Satan, try my servant, Job. Dare I say at some moment in your life, God always does the same thing for you. Try my servant, Mark. See if it be the only time he will worship me is when you bless him as Satan accused. Sometimes our journey with God will lead us into desert moments. It did for the nation of Israel. It did for Paul. Can you imagine the apostle Paul thinking to himself, my goodness, I thought I would walk with God and it would be a path of glory and ease. Where do we get that? I think sometimes we take it from verses we memorize. A lot of you have memorized Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge God, and he will make your path straight. What's a straight path? Well, it's smooth, a slight decline with a tailwind. (laughs) That's a straight path. It's not uphill. And it doesn't have a headwind and it doesn't have a bunch of boulders that I've got to navigate around. Well, it's pretty easy to come to the conclusion that we put together something that is really dangerous. 
hugely dangerous. It's not just this country, it's Latin America, maybe it's the world. It is the godly life, the blessed life, is the easy life. The godly life, the blessed life, we sometimes put together and say it is the path of least resistance. It is the path of blessing. It is the path of ease. And sometimes when we hit into quicksand and we hit into difficulty, we think, wait a minute, we're on the wrong path. But God wants them to understand that just because you hit a desert doesn't mean they took the wrong path. They didn't. God was delivering them. They were the redeemed Redeemed people don't go into the desert. Yes, they do when they're walking with God. They walked into the desert. He had some work to do with them. Paul walked into the desert. The psalmist says, David, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there are times that I'm going to walk right by it. I'm going to walk under the banner, if you will, of sin and difficulty and challenge and even death. Just because we hit the desert doesn't mean you're on the wrong path. It might mean, actually, as in Jeremiah's case, you're right where God wants you. We have to disconnect this idea that blessing always leads to ease. Actually, sometimes God says, I want to bless you. And to do it. I want to lead you through one of the greatest trials of your life and I will refine you and I will strengthen you and I will forge within you a courage that you can endure anything. I I can't tell you how many times in my life I've just like, God, this is stupid. I want to quit. And it's like, I can just hear the father say, since when have I ever promised you an easy path? I know, I know, but can you give me a little bit more tailwind? No. Some open doors lead to desert places. That's God's intention. Why? That they cried out to the Lord, their God, in trouble, and He delivered them. I bet you're like me. I've never cried in the midst of blessing. I've cried because of grief. I've cried because of disappointment. I've cried because of death. I've never cried on an easy path. Maybe you cry because it's easy. I don't. I just enjoy it. I've never gone out for a bike ride when the tailwind's behind me and I'm cruising along and I'm going, oh God, I just feel moved to tears because of how good it is out here. I have cried when I was going up over a mountain and a 75-year-old woman passed me and smiled at me and she said to me, honey, it's going to be okay. Keep going. I've cried at that moment. Tears of embarrassment. Yeah, I've cried when I'm going uphill. Some open doors lead to desert places and some open doors, my friends, You feel like they lead to freedom, but they actually may be a wide open gate to prison. This is the disappointment that is kind of the boomerang. You think, oh, I've got it. That's glory. And God tells you, no, it's it's really not. And by the way, I'll be here when you come back home. 
What causes it? Just two reasons he gives in this text. Number one, it's how they relate to the word of God. He said, in verse 10, some said in darkness. Well, what caused that? Well, they turn off the light. What light? Some said in darkness, in the deepest gloom, prisoners suffering in iron chains. Uh, what got them there? For they had rebelled against the words of God. They despised the counsel of the Most High. Wow. What happens? They close the book. It's really not all that profound. It's simple. They just close the book. They just think somehow that they can go through life and they have a wisdom within themselves that they can navigate life and they can travel through all of the difficulties and the challenges and that within themselves, they're sufficient. I don't know if you've ever gone hiking on a cliff in the middle of the night. If you ever want to, in Colorado, hike the 14ers, you got to leave usually around 2 in the morning. Because if you get up to the Continental Divide, the storms can come in on you in about 5 minutes. And man, I'm telling you what, you're a dead person. So you always have to hit the peak at, at about 8, 9 in the morning. And so the first 3, 4 hours of your hike is completely pitch black. And you're going up cliffs and you got shale and you got all kinds of things. You can slide down and see Jesus face to face. And so the reality is every person up there, every person up there has a headlamp. And you don't have some dull headlamp. You got something that sees the Shekinah glory. Why? Because you like living. Imagine. Turning that lamp off, saying to yourself, I don't need the light. I can go it alone. I mean, man, I'm all that is man. Yeah, it's good. Until you hit the first boulder, you miss the first turn. And the next thing you know, you're seeing Jesus face to face. And he's like, turn on the light. That's what they did. The scriptures is a light under my path. It's a, it's a light. It shows me where I'm walking. It teaches me. And for some reason in life, people think, ah, I don't need the Bible. It's too restrictive. It's just a bunch of do's and don'ts. And I want to live my life to the fullest. God says, no. When you turn the lamp of God's word off, You've now become a person taking a hike in complete pitch black. What happens? You stumble. They cried out to God. He saved them from their distress and he brought them out of darkness. And by the way, the deepest gloom. They made a mess of their life. It's tragic, but I see it all the time. Kids that grew up in the church, taught the word of God, raised in a family that honored the word of God, they'd even memorize some of it. But for some tragic, tragic reason, Satan tempts them and they buy off on it. I think I'm sufficient apart from God's word. And they close it and they begin to live their life. And they make a mess. There's another one. It's not just the word, but this one, he says in verse 17, some became fools 
through their rebellious ways. What's a fool? It's not an unintelligent person. There's a lot of fools are brilliant. It's a person that has no morals. It's a person who has no boundary. It's a large ship with enormous power that has no rudder. Imagine coming out of the harbor, discarding the rubber, throwing it into full gear. We've got power. We're going to tackle the ocean. Yeah, until you run into an island or until you run into another ship. Because if you have unrestrained power and a wide open horizon with no rudder, you'll be fine for a few days. But at some point, you're going to hit land and you're going to wreck yourself. Freedom from God's morals at first feels so exhilarating. It does. If you're having the time of your life, this pastor doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. Would you come back to me when you wreck? I won't say I told you so. I'll wrap my arms around you and say, let's walk together. But when we have a freedom that feels like it's a wide open gate, sometimes it's to a prison and it's to a prison of affliction when you discard the morals of God. That's what he says. Verse 17, some became fools through their rebellious ways and they suffered affliction because of their iniquities. What's the difference between this rebellion and those who discard the word? Those who discard the word simply close up the Bible. That is, I don't need it. Those who are living out of rebellion as a fool are individuals who have discarded the conscience. Every person made in the image of God has a conscience. And they have the Holy Spirit pinging them. John 16, pinging them, helping them to see the order of the world, helping them to see the glory of the universe, helping them to hear the voice of God that has been implanted in them. Every person, John 16 says. But what happens is they discard that. They say no to that. They stiff it. They they, they press it back. They deny it. What happens? It says they suffered affliction. Is that a bad cold? Is that COVID? What is it? It says they loathed all food. Who does that? Who hates food? It's a person who wants to die. It's a person who said, I don't want to live. I hate the very thing that gives me life, the very thing that sustains me, the very thing that allows me nourishment. They said they hate. How do you get there? It's when you've made choice after choice after choice and you've suppressed God's voice and you've denied it. You get to the point where you hate living. They loathe all food. And the next line, and drew near the gates of death. What at one point felt like freedom becomes now a day you want to die. This week, Carrie and I lost a friend. She's not really a friend. We raised her son. 
46 years of age, she died. Her husband would drop her off at the treatment center. She'd walk through it and walk out the back to freedom. So she thought. Every day he would take her to the treatment center. She'd walk through it. She'd walk out the back to freedom. She even said, this is going to be the year that I die. 46. Who cherishes alcohol more than food? Who drinks and purposely doesn't put food in their stomach? It's a person who wants to die. Over the years, she's been shared the gospel so many times. She rejected it. She could never get over the disappointments and the drain on her life. She never processed it. There were moments in her life as we've known her for years, 20 plus years, more than that, that she bragged of her freedom. She boasted her of her ability to make her own decisions. But it was prison. It was a lie. And today she's dead. And all around her, her children, her husband, her parents, grieve, fight anger, at a person who, over the years, turned God off severed the conscience, closed the book. She was bigger than the book. She didn't need God. It was a crutch to you who are weak. She has met that God. And I don't believe it was a great day. What sometimes feels like freedom may actually be a wide open gate to prison. But that's not where God wants you to stop. Because after every one of these cycles, what does he say? They cried out to God. And in every broken dream and every major disappointment, there's one thing that you and I can be assured of, and that is that God's love will never disappoint us. It won't. That's what he says. Whoever is wise, let him heed these things. What things? They walked through a desert path. They cried out to God. He met them. They rejected his word. They cried out to God and he received them. They turned God off in their conscience and they suppressed him and he met them and he loved them. Why? Because actually disappointments can actually be our friend. What do they do? They make us desperate for God. They can. Oh, you can fly in the face of them and press into them and allow them to crush you. But here, what he says is that this desperation is actually a gift to them. Why? Because they cried out to him. That broken cistern that you've been digging, that life that you've tried to find satisfaction. Jeremiah 2 says that cistern's never going to hold water. And the glorious day is when you look at the broken cistern and you say, wow, this thing doesn't hold water. Yes. 
Wow, this relationship doesn't satisfy. Yes. Wow, this career, I've made all the money in the world and I'm not happy. Yes. That disappointment makes us desperate for God. And when you're desperate, you cry. You don't cry when you're happy. You don't. You cry out to God when you're desperate. And that's a good thing. Why? Because blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Yes, those disappointments make us desperate for God. And we discover in that moment what they did. That we need a person more than we need an answer. They cried out to the Lord. And he saved them. They cried out to the Lord. And he saved them. And what you'll find out is what they did. And that is you'll discover that God will never ever abandon you. But he will always lead you to a new place. God will never look at you and say, you closed my book. I'm done with you. No. At each moment, whether they discarded the Bible, whether they closed off the conscience of God, whether they found themselves in a desert place, the same thing. God says, doesn't matter. I don't care what path you take. When you cry out to me, I'll be there. Like a faithful grandparent that tells his grandkids, you know, you play basketball, I'll be there. You swim, I'll be there. You go to a math tournament, I'll be there. Why? Because I'm retired. (laughs) And I love you more than life. It's God. He will never discard you. He will always be there for you. I have a friend who's going through a divorce right now. It's really sad. It's not his dream. It was never his vision. He's got a great job. He's a pilot. Makes a lot of money. If it's a really nice home. Beautiful kids. His wife just doesn't want to be married. It's tragic, but he's discovered some things. One, he goes, the environment with which we created in our home was not grace-filled. And he goes, for the first time in my life, I'm actually in a place where I'm feeling the kindness and the grace of God. Even though she leaves him, he has discovered God hasn't. When you're desperate, be assured of one thing. When you cry out to God, he will never abandon you. And you will discover that God's word brings new hope and joy. Verse 42, 41 says, the upright see and rejoice. See what? They see the truth. They see the word. Their eyes have been enlightened. The scales have been taken away. They're like, man, this is glorious. They, they see the truth. And what do they do? They rejoice. I think there's two kinds of people who read the Bible. Some read the Bible and they check the box. Yep, I'm done. I've done my three chapters of the day. I'm going to read through the the Bible this year. Others, they read it and they rejoice. What makes the difference? Typically, hunger. Some people sit down in front of a meal and they're kind of like, eh, you know what? This is, I asked for well done. It's not well done. They're kind of picky. 
There's other people who are ravenously hungry and they sit down. They don't ask what it is. They don't tell you what temperature. They don't really care how you spiced it. They're furiously hungry and they sit down and they eat and you can see the glory on their face. That's these guys. What's the difference? Desperation. Dreams that have crashed. And they discover that God's word brings new hope. And they also discover that God will not be silent forever. You can read through this psalm in probably about 90 seconds, right? Minute and a half. It's all it takes to read it. It took way more than a minute and a half to live in. Some of these people remain stuck for a long time. It takes a long time. It really does. It rarely happens quickly that you close the book and say, you know what? I can go this life on my own. You take off on this hike. It's dark. Your eyes acclimate maybe a little bit. And the reality is, you know, I'm doing okay. I'm doing fine. You can read it in a minute and a half. It takes you longer to come to the place where you cry out to God. And you think God's never going to speak to me. He's, he's, he's not. He's silent. And he won't be. He won't be silent forever. Because he promises you when your dreams die. And when you cry out to him. God will give you more glorious future than you could ever imagine. He will. The backdrop of this psalm was a nation that was embarrassed of their temple. Embarrassed of their relationship with God. They became desperate. And they cried out to God. What did he give them? He didn't give them a bigger temple. He gave them a person. There's a brilliance to God's work in our lives. He quite purposely, I believe, built a second temple that was inferior to the first. He built a temple that was embarrassing. They didn't want to sing. Why? Because he wanted them to yearn for something more. He wanted them to yearn for something that a building couldn't fix. Only a person by the name of Jesus who would come and he would die and he would give his body and his blood. Some of you, my friends, you've closed the book. Your life hasn't completely fallen apart, but you see the beginnings. And God says, I want to give you a person. Some of you have been severing your conscience. You've been trying to drown out the voice of God. He's been speaking to you. You just haven't been listening. He wants to give you a person. His name is Jesus Christ. And on this day, there's this moment where you can feel it in your heart. I am not satisfied. I'm not happy. And that may be the best gift God could ever give you. Is that when your well is broken, that you don't feel satisfied. There's a reason God does that. It's because the yearning of your heart creates a desperation. And you cry out to God. And he says, I'm here. 
And so if in this moment, that's you, let's bow our heads together. And I want you to do what the nation of Israel did. They cried out to God. And he rescued them. My friend didn't get his wife back. But he got God at a level he's never tasted. And he's satisfied. Our friend never got her husband back. She worked three jobs most of her adult life. But God met her. Strengthened her. And her kids all walk with Christ. Sometimes God doesn't give you a different building. He gives you a person. His name is Christ. And he gives you life. He's God's answer to your disappointment. And Christ will get you unstuck. If you cry out to him.